Hi, my name is Mary Cruz, and welcome to I'm So Glad You Asked. Every person has a story, and I want to hear yours, episode 13. Welcome to the second episode in the Men's Spotlight. I am absolutely overjoyed, I'm trying new words other than excited, to introduce my friend and neighbor, Craig Hahn. Craig and I have been neighbors for eight years. However, it was not until I attended a St. Charles Township Republican meeting in 2021 that we met and became friends. Soon, we would begin to meet for coffee and discuss everything from local politics to world news. We both have March birthdays, which makes sense why we get along so well. During one of our coffee hangouts, Craig shared parts of the story that he will be graciously sharing today. When my friend Katie's episode aired, Craig had called me and let me know that he listened. Thank you, Craig. And to say what a powerful story it was and how brave Katie is, which she absolutely is. And that is when I asked him if he'd be willing to share his story. So, Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mary. Um, is there anything you'd like to add to that intro? Well, not really. It was just, I, I remember looking down the uh, down the row and, and, and seeing you sitting there with your, uh, your friend from the library. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just, I thought I'd come over and say hello. Mm. I, I really, I actually remember that very well. Yes. Hey, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. And I was like... Yes, that's right. I live I live in St. Charles and you are my neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was right when I was running for the, I believe I was running for the library board or I had just got elected to the library board, but I was trying to make an effort to go to all of the local meetings, um, which I really, I, I'm really, I'm, I, I'm absolutely glad I did for many reasons, but I'm glad because now we started a friendship and I also think it's just important, um, and this is just for me to make sure everyone's hearing everything that's going on. Even if it's things you, you know, even if it's things you don't necessarily agree with, I want to hear all the things that are going on. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so welcome. I mean, is there anything else you'd want to add or we can definitely start and you can share the story that has shaped your life? Well, um, <laughs> I, I was told it was a difficult birth. Oh, <laughs> If you want to go that Wait, really? We can go all the way back. <laughs> Picture it. The year is 1942. 42. You're so young. Um, and you were told it was a difficult birth. Your mom said that to you? Oh, uh, well, yeah. Okay. But, well, thanks, mom. But I made it, so. You, know. you made it. Well, I don't think, uh, maybe it wasn't so difficult as it was that you were just really eager to be like in life and start your life. Well, the, the only the only thing I thought was pretty funny is that uh, I have an older brother that was born on February fourteenth, nineteen forty, who died at birth. Oh, I'm sorry. So it was pretty special. Uh, okay. That uh, that I made it, and I remember living on Lincoln Avenue in Elgin, mm -hmm. and my father was a funeral director, and he was uh, he was so afraid that I would catch some germ that he very seriously thought about putting a glass door on my bedroom really? so that people could look at me but couldn't, you know, oh. give me germs or something. <laughs> I can understand that, though, especially um, after your parents going through, like, that trauma. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did he put a glass, did he put you in a glass light bulb? I, you know, no. <laughs> okay. Eventually. I, I think it got vetoed. Some, Somebody vetoed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody came to their senses. So you grew up out here in the western suburbs then? I uh, grew up in Elgin, actually, uh, you know, until 1986. Wow. And, uh, you know, until, you know, 
went to great school here. We lived in El- uh, Woodstock for a short period of time. Okay. But other than that, you know, grew up in Elgin. Nice. And uh, moved to St. Charles in 1986. Do you like it out here? I love it here. You do? Okay. Good. Well, and, and St. Charles has a, has a very interesting part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first real job uh, was in uh, West Chicago by the airport. So we'd always have lunch here in St. Charles. So I got to know St. Charles pretty well. Where did you go to high school? Elgin High School. Graduated in 1960. 19, the class of 1960. Didn't you just have a reunion? It was canceled due to COVID. We had, yes, we had uh, the our 60th reunion two years late. Okay. Oh, but it, it's still, that's amazing. You had your 60th reunion. Yes. And we've had reunions virtually every five years mm. since we graduated. Where did you go to college? Or did you go to college? I went to college. I went to the uh, University of Illinois and to uh, Elgin Community College. ECC? ECC. Mike went to ECC. When it was on Renner Hall and Chicago Street. Oh, I actually, um, I passed it before. I don't go that way very often. Um, that way down Randall, I probably should start making an effort. But um, I don't know where that is. Chicago Street. Is it off of R- Randall? It's one of the one of the three bridges or four bridges in, okay. in, in, in Elgin. So you went to ECC, then you went to U of I. No, it, there was intermittent. Okay, intermittent. Yeah, I wasn't really much of a fan of, of going to school. Oh, so that is okay, Craig. <laughs> but you, but you, you did. What did you graduate with? Uh, I didn't. You, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I like. Okay, a wonderful part of the story. No, what I, did you go? What did you study? Um, first liberal or first liberal arts, and then uh, commerce. Okay, cool. Okay, business stuff. Nice. Yeah. But uh, I, I just, I really wasn't interested. I went back to school at Illinois, and I found out after many years of contemplation that the only reason I went back was to play touch football in the, uh, <laughs> in the intramural league. Oh, that's a great reason to go back. Well, of course it is. It is. <laughs> Further my education. I mean, you are a very social person, how I've... Like, I've gotten to know you, so that makes a ton of sense that that would be the reason you would drive down to Champaign to play touch football. Yeah. Um, so then, okay, intermitt- intermittently, you were between here and Champaign, but then you ultimately came back to Elgin and you settled in Elgin. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was your first, I guess, job job? I mean, we all have jobs. My first real job, um, I, I, I worked construction uh, for a while, uh, I was a uh, mail carrier for a while. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, I finally decided it was time to get serious. Yeah. And, uh, and I became a, uh, what they call the timekeeper. Okay. At uh, what was then Conair in uh, West Chicago. The timekeeper. So what would yeah. a timekeeper well, do? Well, it was my responsibility to gather the uh, uh, time cards from all the employees oh, cool. and calculate how many hours they worked and figure the payroll basically. So you were almost like HR and payroll. No, not, no, not really. Not really. Okay. Just you helped <laughs> no. collect the time cards. No, I had a little office in the back of the, uh, of the factory. Did you like it? Um, I, I liked it. Um, I actually liked it because of the fact that it gave me an opportunity to, to see how it was set up originally. Mm. And figure out ways to make it a lot easier, okay? And the the most backhanded comment compliment I ever got in my life was my boss said you're you're really lazy, 
And I said, lazy. And he said, yeah. And, and I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you're always figuring out ways to make it easier to work. And I said, <laughs> wouldn't that come under the, <laughs> under the umbrella of efficient? Yes. And he, he kind of said, oh, yeah, well, okay, all right. I'll give you that. It sounds. It sounds to me like um, you. Okay, so if it wasn't HR payroll, it's more operations. Like you were yeah. trying to come up with more policies and procedure. Yeah. Well, just ways to do my job easier. Okay. I love Redo that you said reports, that. Redo reports. You know, um, and so forth. And it was for Con Air in West Chicago. Is that the name? Con Air. Oh, oh. Aluminum extrusion company. Are they? You've walked through probably thousands of Con Air. Uh, doors, okay, and and uh, window things in the front of uh, uh, you know stores and. and I will so definitely forth. start paying attention. Yeah. Are they? Is it still there? No, no. Okay, it's, I had a feeling it's it was been there. it's been there. Nobody's there now. Okay, okay. but it's it was sold three times. Mm. So I eventually uh, I eventually walked in and asked the sales manager because there was a vacancy if I could be in sales. Really? Yes. What? What motivated you to want to do sales? Well, you got to be outside, number one. <laughs> I thought you were going to say to play touch football. <laughs> well, that too. Uh-huh. Um, but basically, uh, that was my first attempt at sales. And I was uh, actually uh, not that good. Okay. But it was, it was something I needed to do. And, uh, and What I would went, you say? What were you not good at? What was the part you weren't good at? Well, I just... Uh, one of the things, one of the things that happened to me was was uh, one of the older guys mm-hmm. kind of took me under his wing, mm. and he said, and um, listening to the way I was doing the job, he basically said, "God gave you one mouth and two ears, <laughs> and there's a reason for that." <laughs> so, if you've ever heard the term "gift of gab" yes. applied to a sales guy or a saleswoman. Okay, they're missing the point. Oh, okay. Sales is about listening and finding out what somebody needs and then describing how what you're selling is going to meet that need. That's true. Okay. That's very true. I also do think it's funny because um, I've had people throughout like my adult life say, oh, you'd be great in sales. You know, you're so sociable and you love to talk, but- that makes a lot of sense that you absolutely need to be the one listening and not talking all the time. Yeah. So did that help that advice? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, the, uh, I, I left there in 1970 and went to work for the first national bank of Chicago. So how long were you there? Three years. At, at um, Conair. Yeah. You were there for three years. Yeah. And then you went to the first national bank of Chicago in Chicago or were you out here? No, in Chicago. Oh. Took the train every day. Oh. Or, or rented cars if I had to go out and sell something. We, the, that was at, at the point in time, the First National Bank had just completed their introduction of uh, credit cards. Oh, 1970? Yes. Right? Okay, this yeah. is great. Aging myself. No, this, but, uh, I think it's important to hear about things. I mean, even as I get older, you have to remind yourself of where we've come from. And how things were at a certain point, because now everything's so accessible. But there are times and when it wasn't that accessible. Exactly. Everything was paid in cash or check. Well, they, uh, First National was a pioneer in offering payroll services to corporations. In 1970. In 1970. Where was your office? Was it on LaSalle? It was in that beautiful bank building at the corner of uh, 
medicine and... I know, I'm just, I'm picturing, I used to work on LaSalle and I just know it was like right by the Board of Trade. You know how you can look south at the Board of yeah. Trade and there's a lot of bank buildings there. I think it's such a pretty street. Yeah. Okay, is. so you were probably you were probably located somewhere over there. Well, that was a brand new building and it was okay. that swoopy architecture oh. that looked really cool. Oh, I love Chicago and, architecture. And I thought it was really cool to work in that building. All right. And I also like the fact that I was introducing something that nobody had ever heard of. And there was, it, it was just, um, it, the explanation was interesting. Oh, okay. Be, because basically you're telling somebody to take the payroll outside the building mm -hmm. and have it done by someone else. Were you recruited for this job or you found it on your own? I actually, uh, through a friend of mine, I was in the National Guard with. And through him, he was... Uh, actually, it turned out he, I was replacing him. That's right. You were in the National Guard. I was. Um, six years. I remember the story you shared. And we can get back to the First National Bank. But I do remember one of the stories you shared is that you were there at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Correct. Wow. And before that, the... Uh, King assassination riots. You were there? I didn't know that. Okay. April of 19... Uh, 1963. 68. Oh, 68. That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow, Craig. And we were, we were there for probably 10 days and on, the, on the, west, east, the west side of Chicago, near west side. Kedzie and Roosevelt was our headquarters. Okay, before we go back to the bank, I just have a question. When did you join the National Guard? 1964. What was the motivation behind it? Uh, it was it was an alternative to being drafted. It was an alternative to being drafted. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So we but we, we we it was nothing. You know. You know. I have a lot of compassion for the people that went to Vietnam. Did you <clears throat> my, have friends? My uh, youngest brother uh, spent a year and a month in Vietnam. Okay. And was forever altered because of that experience. But uh, yeah, we our unit uh, was was uh, was uh, placed on uh, Kedzie and Roosevelt to stop okay. the fires from going east. Wow! And uh, that was uh, that was a real experience. Wow! And then, uh, thank yeah. you for sharing that. I, I know I know you talked about the DNC before. I didn't know about this other event. Yeah. Okay. And then in uh, in August, uh, the Democratic National Convention was held in Chicago, which everybody in that era remembers simply because of the riots that took place. This was over Vietnam. Right. Okay. Well, I just watched um, I watched a movie that they made about it, but I also watched a documentary about it. They made a movie. Well, I'm sure there's a documentary about this, but it's not the one I watched. You ever heard of the Chicago 7? Yes. Okay, so. I was in the midst of them. You were in the midst of them. Okay. Yeah. And I, after I watched, I think it's on Netflix. I It is pretty incredible. Um Obviously, I know it's a movie, and that that one wasn't a documentary. But but after I watched, it, I went back and I read like the original Tribune articles about it. Um, wow, that's how I have to. I mean, that was a pretty contentious time, and very yeah, yeah. And the pictures I saw and how they recreated it. There was a <clears throat> there was actually what was called a police riot on the Wednesday of the convention, mm -hmm. where the police were tired of being, you know, taunted and have concrete thrown at them and so forth. And they rushed all of the demonstrators across uh, Lakeshore Drive. They rushed them to Lakeshore Drive? Yeah. From Congress, right? Because this was at the Congress Hotel? Yeah. Okay. No, uh, uh, or the... the uh, Conrad Hilton? Conrad Hilton. Okay. And we replaced the police. Really? Yeah, after they, 
after the riot settled down. So we were there until like three in the morning. Were you nervous? I, scared is probably the scared. more. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, tense. I can, I can imagine. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you for going back a little bit in time. I appreciate that. And if you want to touch more on that, we can absolutely. I just, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so now it's 1970. You're at the First National Bank of Chicago and you were recruited from a friend, right? Did I get that right? By a friend. By yeah. a friend. Okay. Yeah. And then, and I, I, I was there for, I was there again for four years and I either got bored doing the same thing over and over again. Okay. Or I want to do something else. It must be a March birthday thing. I also I, it, share yeah. that boredom sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I did a brief stint uh, on my own, which did not turn out well. In payroll or in sales? No, no, no. Uh, this was a sales job up in Wisconsin. Okay? Oh. And what I found out was that what the, the, the product was, we were selling magazines over the telephone. Mm. So I managed, you know, a, a bunch of people selling magazines. You commuted from St. Charles to no, I, or Elgin? I moved, moved to Waukesha, Wisconsin. Okay. And I discovered, I discovered that it was morally disruptive for, for doing that. Mm. And the highlight of, of that particular instance was a woman who was a very, very nice lady came into my office and said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I said, what's the problem? And she said, I realized that most of the people who are selling this product don't really understand what they're buying. What were you, wait, what were you selling? I know you said magazines, magazines. but what magazine? Any magazine. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so it, 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 that was the, that was the end of my uh, enthusiasm about that particular situation. And that was also uh, kind of heightened uh, my, uh, my taste for alcohol. Okay. So this is, so I, I think this is kind of where we can start touching on that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 1974, maybe? 1973. 1973. Yeah. Um, so did, were you, you were working in Wisconsin and this is when yeah. things kind of heightened. Okay. Yeah. It was so disruptive that I would, I considered a, a victory if I got to the office before throwing up. So you drank that much before you went? No, it was just, being upset that I was in a situation oh. that really is very, very uncomfortable for me. Mm. Okay. Okay. So then move back to, uh, uh, move back to Elgin at that point in time. Were you married or did you have a family at this time? I did. Okay. Yeah. When, well, what I, year did you get married? 1972. My daughter was born. My, my oldest was born in 1973. Okay. And, uh, she was one year old the whole, that, that whole time. Oh, wow. She's, you know, she's lovely. I've met her. Well, she's, oh. yeah, she's turned out to be pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. She's a cool person. <laughs> um, but anyway, moving back and, and that was, that's, I started the stint of, of, uh, the, the chain of losing, uh, six jobs over the next two years. Due to alcohol. Alcohol. Okay. Yeah. So I had, um, and that, I mean, it was very unpleasant. Well, you know, before, before you go on a little bit about this, I'd, I'd love to know when did the drinking start to become more of a daily habit or was it a daily habit? Or Absolutely. Was, what, how old would you say you were? You know, 73, you know, 
late thirties. Late. Okay. So, yeah. okay. So it was in your thirties that it began. Yeah. Um, or early thirties. And I don't know if I want, if I want to word it like this because I, I didn't know there was math going to be involved in oh, this. I, so. I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. Math is not my strong suit. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure if I want to word it like this, but um, I know that there's, there are situations in life, there's circumstances, there's stress can lead to more drinking or anything can lead, or you just choose to start drinking. So what was it that you would say at that time that increased your level of drinking? Well, it was an addiction. It was an, okay. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't realize it at the time. Okay. For instance, I would, I would leave the First National Bank of Chicago, for instance, and walk to the uh, Union Station. Mm. And uh, there was a shot in a beer joint right there by the, uh, by the train station. And I would walk in and order a double martini and double Manhattan or double Manhattan and take it on the train with me. Did you say shot in a beer? You know, my dad used to drink that. That was his drink. He was also in sales. But it, whenever we would go somewhere, he would get a beer and a shot. And then also a double martini and probably a double whiskey. So, yeah. okay. But you take those on the train? Yeah. In a to-go cup? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They, do, I, they, they do still do that at Ogilvy. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they do. Yes, they do. Yes. I, uh, <laughs> I would get, get to Elgin around uh, 6.05, having consumed both drinks, mm -hmm. and head to what was then called the Blue Moon on Route 20 in Elgin. And they had a, what they called the double bubble hour. That's oh, the, there was a bar in Elgin called the Blue Moon? Well, it was a, it was a restaurant. Uh, it was a dance hall. Oh, a dance hall. Um, yes, the attraction on weekends. Because, again, in Elgin back in those days, it was typically a farm community okay. on the other side of McLean Boulevard. Okay. okay. And uh, the, the band that played on the weekends was Bub and the Boys. <laughs> what kind of music was it? Well, it was it was country. Above on the <laughs> I wonder if they're still around, Craig. Oh, I doubt it. Okay, okay, we'll look it up. That's a long time ago. Um, and then I'd have uh, double man and martini uh, at uh, at uh, six fourteen, and f for whatever reason, it turned out to be six fourteen by by the time I got there. Oh, from walking after getting off the train. Oh no, driving. Oh, driving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then at six twenty five, I had ordered another double Manhattan or martini. Did you eat anything? No. You have an iron. I was too busy drinking. I was just. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> You're too busy drinking. I'm not going to think about food exactly. right now. Exactly. So this was uh, this happened on this was pretty much like a habit. Like it happened daily or weekly. Well, on, when you work during the week, this would happen every. Yeah. Well, and, and on Fridays, you could really go all out because you didn't have to go to work on on Saturday. What time would you get home for dinner? Well, I was single at that time. Oh, okay. So this is before. Okay. So it doesn't make any difference what time, you know. Okay. And sometimes well. I'd eat and sometimes I wouldn't. Mm. I consider myself a test pilot for alcohol. A test pilot. <laughs> oh, you have a great attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like in the early days, you're a test pilot. Yeah. So this, it just, did it continue to increase over the years? Well, yeah. And then, and then uh, uh, I married a young lady who was actually, who rented cars to me in Chicago. Aww. And, uh, and. Uh, Wait, the, this begs the question. So you had a car out here, but you would, you didn't want to drive your own car to do sales calls? Well, no, it was just much easier. I mean, the traffic was horrible. So it was much easier oh, okay. to take the train and then run oh, a car. I absolutely agree with that. Okay. Okay. And then sometimes I'd drive the car home and sometimes I wouldn't. So the person, the woman that you married. Yes. Um, 
rented cars to you. That's correct. That's a that's a cool story. Yeah. How yeah. long? And you got married in 1972. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And my you- my son was born in uh, <clears throat> uh, March. 14th, 1975. So a couple of days after your birthday. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. When was your daughter born in 1973? Is she a late birthday? January 15th. Which oh, is an early birthday. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, she just had a birthday. Happy birthday to her. Well, we were going to have a party except the snow kind of. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we'll have that. Oh, wait. Not just had a birthday. Her birthday will be in two days. Yes. Um, that's one. Okay. MLK yeah. Day. Again. There's no math in this thing, right? There's no math. I'm sorry. (laughs) As I just said, oh, she just had a birthday and you said the 15th. But when we're recording it, it's the 13th. So this is is podcast math. Okay. Yes. Yes. I got it. (laughs) I'm probably fairly good at that too. Um, Okay. So it's 1974 and you've had your second child. 1975. 75. I'm sorry. Right. And I was was going to work. um, My son was three weeks old, by the way. Hmm. And I was, I had a job in, uh, in Geneva. Oh, didn't you say at this time you had gone through six, six jobs or is this the time period where you, this is, yeah, this is the time period. It was either 18 or eight, 18 or 24 months Okay, in which I had six jobs that, uh, people asked me to leave. And I'm sure that alcohol was the, uh, was the reason, mm-hmm. but of course, uh, the rationalization that an alcoholic goes through is monumental. So I was convinced that it was either the job wasn't right for me or the boss was a jerk or mm-hmm. whatever. Okay. Yeah. And so I was working at a job, um, finding other people jobs. Oh, a recruiter? Kind yeah. of? Okay. Yeah, in Geneva. Okay. And it's the second time I had worked for, for him. And I was pretty sure I'd get rehired simply because his sister used to babysit for me when I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So... But I, I just, I had an experience that uh, changed my life. Mm. Um, I was driving into uh, St. Charles uh, on a very beautiful April morning and coming over the hill into St. Charles. The trees weren't as high as they are now. And you could see pretty much all the way to the uh, uh, courthouse in Geneva. Really? It, it was just striking. Oh, wow. Beautiful. And I... I had a, a memory that popped into my head about what would my life be like when I'm in my early 30s. And at that time, I was a senior in high school, walking down the halls of Elgin High School. And this, this memory was basically, my life would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right, I'd, I'd have a great job, like a lawyer or something. And I'd have a beautiful wife, beautiful children, Drive <laughs> wonderful cars. Cars, and, uh, plural. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, member of the Elgin Country Club and so mm. forth. And this took about a half a second to, to recall mm. or less than that. And a voice that I can't say was my own said, what happened? Oh, my gosh. And then my voice in answer to that said, it's the booze, dude. Your voice responded. Was this out loud or was this in your head? In my head. <clears throat> so you knew that it was the well, alcohol. It's, the, it's, it's, it's what physics call a singularity. Okay. Where all possibilities devolve to one. Mm. Okay. And that one was that I was a drunk. And I, uh, 
I'm so sorry to keep coughing. That's all right. I apologize. Continue. So, I mean, basically over the next four or five days, I mean, I, I did actually go out on, this was a Thursday morning and on Friday. But I'm, well, so after this happened and you hear this voice and then you have this reckoning with yourself. Epiphany, yeah. Epiphany. How was the rest of your day? Do you remember? Well, it was, you know, it was kind of lost in, <coughs> in, in deep thought about yeah. exactly what was really going on in my life. Mm. Okay. Rather than. And I hadn't gotten to the point where I was really ready to face all of that, but there was, this was like a lightning bolt. Yeah. All right. And there was some pain to it. I can and, imagine. I can imagine, especially, especially for um, <clears throat> what you said before, with going through so many jobs that you, um, you had. What'd you say? You, um, you, and that you blamed everybody else, right? Like, oh, I would blame the boss, or I would blame the job wasn't right for me. Well, I'd, I'd take any, any. Any length to avoid responsibility. But then in this moment, you hear this voice and then you respond and you have accountability for yourself saying yeah. it's the booze. That's pretty big, Craig. Well, it was. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, it was literally uh, the biggest turning point in my life. Do you, I think, if you haven't said the date, do you remember the date it was? Yeah. April what? 7th. 1970. Well, this was April 3rd or 4th. Okay. But <clears throat> what, what, what essentially happened after that... <clears throat> Is um, I, I, a gentleman I worked with, car was in the garage. Uh, he asked me to pick him up and take him to work because he didn't have a car at that point in time. I agreed to do that. Oh. And I called him at 1130 in the morning and I said, you know, I know that you don't have a car. If you want to go to lunch, I'd be happy to drive. Hmm. We went to a, uh, a burger joint on uh, a bar and, and restaurant. That's no longer there. That's no longer there <laughs> on Main and uh, Randall Road what in St. Charles. I'm trying to think of what it was called, and I don't recall. I That's don't okay. We, maybe I can go to the History Museum and see what it was called. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but the owner was Bill, and his wife was the cook. Oh, cool. And we walked in. It was very, very busy. And he said, and I don't have a table for you if you want to sit at the bar. Mm. Okay, I can, I can, you know, we can get you a table. And so it was probably about noon and uh, on a Friday, and my buddy ordered a martini. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was forced into ordering, you know, one, sound, two. It sounds like you were. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it does. Yeah. There was no physical force involved. No. So, no. Um, and then he ordered another one, and I ordered another one. And about four martinis later, Bill walked up and said, we're closing the kitchen at two. Oh, wow. Well, did you want something to eat? <laughs> we said, mm, nah. No, no and food. Another martini. So I drove him home and uh, stopped at another bar on the way home. You didn't go to back to work? No. Did you guys have half day Fridays? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it I was, was like, what a really cool place you worked at in 1975. For, uh, it was for us. <laughs> yes, it was for you. Okay. <laughs> so um, I don't remember. I don't remember uh, driving home or, or going to bed wow. or anything like that. Well, and, that's... Uh, so the next morning I had a phone call <clears throat> and uh, it was my boss. Now I had, I either was, awakened or just got up mm -hmm. um it was probably at eight o'clock in the morning and he said i already talked to your buddy and no you guys didn't you know i'm glad you didn't come back to work oh and i was afraid yeah you know that i would lose my job and he said uh if you're really serious about what you wrote on that napkin there's a guy i want you to talk to and i will you know talk to him this morning 
and see if he'll, he'll talk to you. What did you write on a napkin, Craig? Well, that's exactly what I was asking myself. <laughs> <laughs> and my head was, I mean, listening to him talk, but my head is going, napkin, napkin. The hell's he talking about, napkin? Yeah. And it Especially finally, since you hadn't gotten back to work. It finally dawned on me that well, I had written on a napkin that I was going to quit drinking because of oh, the wow. experience I had the morning before. Okay. All right, which didn't influence my drinking on Friday, but <laughs> well, I would think uh, it, it took just, a line, to, to, uh, took a while to sink in. Okay. Well, to give yourself some grace too, I think that <laughs> <laughs> if you're going, you know, if you've been drinking for quite a while, and this is an addiction, and an addiction is a disease. Yeah. That, um, again, I want to go back and say that for you saying that you'd gone through all these jobs, but throughout all the jobs, whenever you were let go, there was no blame put on yourself. But that in that moment, you hear this voice. And you take accountability. I would think that would take a couple of days to sink in, especially if you are struggling with this addiction and disease. That it's not something that's going to be rational. Well, it, yeah, it, it it did. Okay, and of course I was terribly hungover, mm. and uh, and so I didn't drink the rest of that day. I didn't drink the rest of Sunday. Did you typically drink on weekends? Oh God, yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't want to assume. That was Katie I, bar the door. What'd you say? What? I said that was Katie bar the door. What? K- Katie bar the door. What is yeah, that? Yeah, that's an expression from the old days. Oh, I'm going to also going okay. to look that up. No, I like that. Yeah, it's everything. You know, go for it. Go for it. Okay. 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 So, <laughs> so I went to the office on uh, on Monday morning. It was a beautiful April, April seventh, nineteen seventy five, mm. morning, uh, in my used Chevy. And my son was three weeks old at that time. Yeah. My daughter was two years old. And I, to this day, believe that my son's entry into my life was the, the turning point. Mm. In other words, now I'm responsible for two kids. Yeah. Okay? And, of course, being fired from six jobs over the 18 months or 12, 24 months, whatever it was, you know, you're broke. Did your wife work? <laughs> no. Okay. And so anyway, in the conversation, he said, would you be willing to sit down and talk with this guy? And I said, sure. I felt forced to say that. Yeah. So I went to work Monday morning and um, he kept the office pretty chilly because it was a house in Geneva that the office was in. And uh, he didn't like to heat the house over the weekend. So it was about 65 degrees in there. Okay. And he walked over to my desk, didn't say a word, just dropped a piece of paper on my desk and said, call him. So I looked at the piece of paper and it said, his initials were RJ, said, call him. So I, I sat there for a good two, three, four minutes thinking, my God, I've got to do this. I have to. Was it, do you remember, was it a feeling of dread or a feeling of? No, it was just abject fear. Abject fear. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're Don't not going to yeah, sugarcoat this. You were just terrified. <laughs> exactly. And so I finally mustered the strength to lift up my phone, which at that time weighed about 400 pounds. Mm. And, yeah, I can uh, imagine. Decided to give him a call. And I called the number and the receptionist answered and I told her my name and she said, oh, just a minute, please. And I thought, oh, no, she knows my name. Oh. Okay. So, gentleman's name was Ray. Ray answered the phone and said, this is Ray. How can I help you? 
And I said, well, um, um, you know, our buddy called, uh, talked to you on, on Saturday and told you that I would be calling you. Yeah, so how can I help you? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I, uh, <clears throat> I, um, <sighs> I'm a heavy drinker. And he said, yeah, so quit. Ooh. Oof. And I said, oh. now sweat is dropping off my forehead onto the table and it's cold in there. I was just going to say, it's only like 65 in there. Oh, you know, and it was literally dripping onto the desk. Wow. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a heavy drinker, so quit. I'm thinking, oh, my God, what does he want me to say? I, I think I might be an alcoholic. That I can help you with. Was that the first time you had ever used those terms out loud? Yeah. Wow, Craig. I mean, internally, I think I knew that. Okay, but to I mean, actually was, say it, it out loud. Yeah. Mean, there's no other excuse for my behavior. And so he said, do you have a car? And I was insulted. Of course I have a car. I have a used Chevy, <laughs> sir. Be beat up old Chevy, Chevy, but it's a car. <laughs> okay. And, and he said, well, come on over to the, the, uh, the, uh, my office. And I said, now? And he goes, yes, now. Oh. And I said, okay. And he gave me the address and I went over there. I spent an hour with this guy. And I walked out to the car after spending an hour with him. And it's as if he'd lifted up the world and turned it around 180 degrees and dropped it back down again. Because before I got to the car, I said to myself, and the sun was beautiful. I mean, it was just a gorgeous day. I have finally found a way I can quit drinking. Mm. And some of the things he said still stick with me, okay? Like what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. I can, no, no, that's Do you fine. want to do some math instead? That's fine, yeah. Let's okay, do, let's do some math. <laughs> make it easy. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he basically, I mean, we started talking, and uh, uh, some of the things he I, I said, he said, is there any, anything that you uh, can think of that would get in the way of you quitting drinking? And I said, well, I, I don't know that I could, you know, spend the rest of my life without alcohol. And he said, well, we don't do it that way. Mm. And I said, what do you mean? He said, can you stay sober today? Yes. When you wake up tomorrow, can you make a pledge that you won't drink that day? Don't worry about next week, that day. And I said, well, yeah. He said, that's it. That's all we do. 24 hours at a time. You know, I... If you're comfortable sharing, I'd love to know what did alcohol help you cope with that was getting you through a day? I, I grew up in an alcoholic family. Okay. On both sides. Your mom's and your dad's side. Yeah. Okay. That went back centuries. Yeah. So I honestly believe that there's a genetic component to this whole thing. Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. And I, and I just, I, you know, one of the things I remember in my early years was I was going to be a better drinker than my father. And you meant that. I like, did. You meant it. Okay. Yeah. Meaning that you could hold your liquor a little bit Correct. better? Okay. You would be, you wouldn't, I, this is just something that I'm picking up from this. Obviously, um, I have a little bit of experience with it, but you wouldn't be a sloppy drunk. Like you would, you'd keep it together. It depends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, almost just like if you if you were to say, I'm going to be a better drinker than my dad, meaning like I can hold my liquor. 
I can keep it together. I can yes. have a composure yes. instead of, uh, you know, watching, watching your parents and you're like, nope, I can do it a lot better than that. Well, my, God bless him. <laughs> but my dad would have one drink and, and one martini and he'd be completely, you know, oh, wow. out. Okay. Okay. And I, I did visit a, a doctor, by the way, back in 1973, who described to me the arc of alcoholism. So on the upside, your, your tolerance is incredible. I used to be very proud of the fact that I would outdrink 220 pounders. Mm. Okay. Um, and you reach a pinnacle in which your stamina and your, your uh, tolerance is very, very high. And all of a sudden, that arc starts going downhill. And when you reach a certain point downhill, your tolerance for alcohol diminishes. Okay. Okay. And he pointed to the, <laughs> about an inch down the downside and said, here's where you are. <laughs> I said, oh, thank you, doctor. <laughs> I actually don't know the history of this and <clears throat> it's something I'll definitely look up, but I'm wondering if you know when the, when the term alcoholism um, was, was um, recognized as a disease and an addiction. <sighs> It, it, it really, it, it was a moral disease to a lot of people. Okay. Okay. Uh, and in fact, I, I remember having uh, a difficulty. There was a, a, a young girl and, and I who were attracted to each other. And after two dates, it was like, boom, you're, you're out. And I finally uh, realized that her father uh, was interceding mm. and, and, and knew of the history of my family. Okay. And said, I don't want you, you know, I don't want you going out with this guy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but a lot, a lot of the things that he said were, were very, very, you know, very, very impactful. Yeah. Okay. He asked me if I believed in God. We're going back to Ray, Ray J. Ray J. Okay. And, and I, I, I kind of hemmed and hawed. I said, well, you know, I, um, um, you know, I, uh, and he st interrupted me and he said, you don't. Oh. And I said, you didn't give me a chance to answer. And he said, Craig, people who believe in God say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, uh, of meeting it was. Okay. There was, was no sugar coating. He was very, no, none at all. Yeah. Okay. It was salt. All right. Seems like you needed salt. Exactly. And he knew that. And he was 65 years old, been on the program for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he was exactly who I needed in front of me at that time. That's, that's, that's the beginning of small miracles mm -hmm. yeah. in my mind. Okay. Yeah. Coming over that hill in St. Charles was the first one. And hearing that voice. Okay. Having kids, as I look back on it, were small miracles. Absolutely. And I believe that my ent son's entry into the world was, was the opening of the door for me to realize that I was an alcoholic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and I, he just, he had so many pieces of wisdom that he would, you know, punch you in the nose with. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I had a rollover accident, which I survived with no injuries whatsoever. Small miracle. Another one, yeah. Was this after or before? Oh, no, this was in 1969. Okay. Okay. Uh, coming home from a tavern in Dundee at 2 o'clock in the morning. 
So alcohol was involved. Well, of course it was. Okay. Well, I don't want to assume. I don't want to <laughs> assume. At two in the morning? Yes. What else would it be? <laughs> uh, maybe you were going out for milk? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, you had plenty of milk. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I, I told him about the uh, rollover accident and so forth. <clears throat> and I said, you know, I probably shouldn't have had that last drink. And he said, you got it all backwards. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you shouldn't have had the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And I have since discovered that. <clears throat> and there's a great story on, on uh, Bill W. of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's on PBS. Okay. Let me write that. We yeah. can share it in the show notes. And he. Um, there's a. There's a piece in there that is a university professor who is a recovering alcoholic. And he tells the story about a guy standing outside a bar who he's trying to drink, trying to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And he stands outside the bar and says to himself, I'm just going to have one. I'm going to have one drink and I'm going to move on and go home. And he walks into the bar, orders the drink, has that drink and orders another one. And continues drinking until he's pretty hammered. Yeah. All right. And he said, the professor said that that gentleman who is sitting at the bar is not the gentleman that was standing outside the bar talking about having one drink because having that one drink changed him physically and mentally. Oh, wow. And he could not stop but having a second, a third, and a fourth. Yeah. So when Ray J said, we don't do it that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Having the first drink is the one that gets you. Mm. And I, that's like stamped on my forehead. Okay. So it was, it was very interesting. He took me to a, he first took me to, to, to dinner at uh, St. Charles country club. Which was that was the first time you'd been there? Treat. I'd actually played golf there. Okay. Before. You are an avid golfer. Yes, I am. And you're a great golfer. <laughs> well, I may have it anyway. <laughs> well, and I also, um, given that when you were in high school, part of your dream was being a member at the Elgin Country Club that gave something away. That Yes. Okay. Yes. First golf ball I ever hit in my life was at five years old at Elgin Country Club. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you're at dinner at the St. Charles Country Club. Yeah. And we went to uh, a gathering um, and I walked in the uh, down the stairs holding on for dear life because my knees were shaking so hard. And uh, a, a rather tall, thin gentleman who was making some coffee, uh, who I didn't know worked for Ray. Okay. So he knew who I was. Mm. And he said, how about a cup of coffee? Mm. And I said, and you know, I've had enough coffee for the day. And I looked over before I said that, and I saw these little tiny styrofoam cups. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I knew damn well I wouldn't be able to hold on to it. Okay. The shakes. I, I was just going to say. Yeah. Because this is day three? No, this is day two. Day two. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> so I said, no, I'm fine. I, I had too much, to drink, uh, too much coffee already. And he says, yeah, you're probably just afraid you can't hold on to the cup. Whoa. And I thought, you son of a, how the hell, how, who do you, th- 
Oh, God, he's absolutely right. That's exactly why I didn't. Like the Jedi mind trick. Get yeah. out of my mind. Yeah, it was. So it was, uh, it was uh, my introduction to a program that... Uh, I am just curious. Did you drink water or anything that night or... God, I don't remember. Okay. I'm hoping you so. did stay hydrated with some water. I don't th- I think <laughs> being hydrated with water was the last yeah, thing on my mind. I know. Okay. But um, I think that's incredible you got through that dinner. Well, that must here's, have been terrifying. Here's the result of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was, it was a, a group of people who, who have a, a common problem. Yep. And I was shocked because my idea of alcoholism was. If you were an alcoholic, um, you were either on Skid Row or you were living under a bridge in Chicago Street in Elgin. Okay? And I discovered that the people that were there were presidents of their own company Mm. who were lawyers. There was a judge there. Wow. uh, Some pretty high, you know, high living people. And one of the guys was uh, somebody that I worked with at at the bank. Really? Yeah. And oh, I walked wow. up to him and I said, what are you doing here? And his answer was, what the hell do you think I'm doing here? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought, um, you dummy, of I course. I would say <laughs> like addiction doesn't discriminate, right? It, no, it, it not does at not, all. It does not discriminate. Not at all. Wow, Craig. So out of that. I would assume that would have been very, I don't know if the word's like, hum, maybe humbling, like a humbling moment or just like a moment of that you weren't alone. No, humility was part of the deal. Okay. Okay. And, 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 and out of that, um, it took me six months to go back to the do you believe in God thing. It took me six months to realize that my life had completely changed in the last six months. Mm. And Ray, Ray actually fronted me $600 mm-hmm. so I could buy some clothes because he found me a job. Oh, I know. So it was six months after that, that I realized, first of all, there's got to be a higher power Yeah. because these small miracles kept happening to me. I went from an abject drunk on a, on a Friday uh, or on a Monday uh, to sober. Yeah. And it's been that way for a long time. I'm going to have to ask you to do some math. Um, how, how long has it been? Uh, it'll, well, it's 48 years right now. And on April 7th, it'll be 49. Craig, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I have been uh, so blessed with, you know, things that have happened to me mm-hmm. since that time. And, you know, I have four just really terrific kids. They're, yeah, you really do. I mean, they're just. Well, you're pretty terrific. So well, I would imagine you. that they came, you know, and your wife's pretty terrific too. Thank you. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, it's having dinner, we just, we just, we just, it's nothing but laughter. <laughs> it takes us forever to, to eat because everybody's making jokes and laughing. And uh, I, I should, do you mind if I tell you that one story about? Oh, not at all. Please tell all the stories. This is your this is your space. I have a interestingly enough, my my youngest daughter is unfortunately my clone. I've never met her. I no. met your oldest, right? Who I actually thought was your clone, but okay. Now I well, now, now need to be your youngest. Yeah. 
My youngest is my clone. And the young lady who is two years older than she is my wife's clone. Mm. That makes an interesting combination. I can imagine. Which also, uh, I might add, means that we have four oldest in our immediate family. That's so true. My wife's an oldest of seven. I'm an oldest of four. My oldest is the oldest of two. But Mm. then 18 years or 16 years later, she got a sister and a brother. That's right, because you did get remarried. That's correct. And you had two additional lovely, lovely children. Yes. Okay. So we're sitting at the dinner table and my uh, youngest is four. And next to her is the six-year-old. And then there's 18 and uh, 20 and 22. Wow. Okay. So we're all sitting there having dinner. And my youngest is just jumping all over the place, falls out of her chair. And she sits right to my left. And I finally said, young lady, either you control yourself or, or there's going to be some, some real problems here. Okay. So knock it off. You're not old enough that I can't spank you. She's four, right? Yeah. Okay. Five. Threw some salt her way. Four. Yeah, yeah you're right. Four. Math again. Math. Huh? Yeah, I know. That's going to be the title of the, the podcast. Continue. So, <laughs> so I, I, I said, you know, you're not old enough. I can't spank you. With that, she jumped out of her chair, ran around the table, hopped up on my lap, stuck her little butt in the air and said, <laughs> go ahead, spank me. That's salty. And I looked up at the family and I thought, I got to spank her. <laughs> well, now I have to. I can't not spank her. <laughs> she's challenged me. Oh my gosh. So she, <laughs> she's, she's laying across Because well, this lap. is your clone, right? This is your clone. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, okay. This is making sense. With, <laughs> with my little, her little butt in the air, okay? And so I gave her what I thought was a pretty decent crack. Yes. Okay? A whack. And she turned to me and looked up and said, Dad, you can hit harder than that. No. Absolutely. Wow. Well, the whole family broke out laughing. <laughs> and I did too. Oh. And she's. What a firecracker. Oh, she is. And she's incredibly funny. My oldest daughter, two years ago, finally admitted to me, and she was just fresh out of college, finally admitted to me. That when that happened, she thought to herself, I have found myself a new hero. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. And now there's 18 years difference between them. And they're actually half sisters, but you don't dare say that out loud. No, they're sisters. Okay. But uh, they're they're as close as you can possibly be. Mm. And they... That's a refl- I would I would say just having gotten to know you over the last couple of years and your wife, that's definitely a reflection on the you the home culture that you provide and you create. Well, I, I, Deb really really takes the credit for that. She yeah. w- she made absolutely sure that there was a blend there. Yeah, that there was respect um, and honor amongst those those four kids. I mean, uh, my son used to dress up the. Uh, uh, the, the, the one that was, you know, five, two years older than my youngest Aww. and would dress him up, dress, dress her up as Superman <laughs> and then put on the Superman music in the background and awesome. fly her around the living room. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, I love that. Oh yeah. So it was always a lot of fun. Um, have you 
with all of your kids and your family, has this been an open conversation? About? Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. My no, none of my kids remember me as as being an alcoholic. Hmm. The youngest, the, the youngest two, absolutely not. Right. But the oldest two have no recollection because they were they're babies. Two years old and and uh, and three weeks old when I quit drinking. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, they know the story. And in fact, one of the most, gosh, rewarding things I've ever heard in my life was my youngest came up to me about two years ago and said, I really, I want, I want you to know I'm real proud of you, Dad. And I said, what for? And she said, you've stopped alcoholism in this family from centuries of, of yeah. alcoholism. Generational trauma. Yeah. That's incredible, Craig. Yes, you did. Yeah. Oh, I love that she recognized that too. You know, I think we are living in a really great time where um, we can have conversations like this. And yeah. like there's, um, if there was shame before around it, that the shame has dissolved at least, or it dissipates and <coughs> people feel they have a voice, like kind of like what you said, like you, you just assumed alcoholics were living under a, you know, under a bridge, but now you realize that it affects <coughs> literally everyone. Yeah. The person you worked with, who you had no idea. Exactly. So is it a day-to-day, it's a day-to-day choice. It's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm not going to have a drink today. It's that simple. And you, did you stay in contact with Ray J for a long time? Ray J unfortunately died in January of 1976 with a massive heart attack in San Antonio, Texas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. You didn't get to know him that long. No, I didn't. Oh my gosh! And I still love him today. Well, yeah. I've had I've, I've had good male influences. Uh, uh, one was a man named Gaylord Thompson, who was the uh, swimming coach mm-hmm. and the director of the Elgin YMCA, mm-hmm. who uh, allowed me to be a diver when I was nine years old. Mm. And uh, you still dive? I don't. But uh, my, not, young, my youngest like, is a diver. You're not just like diving into the Fox River all the time in the summer. Oh, I'll dive anywhere. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that either. Yeah. That's why I love this podcast. I feel like even though you come in with one story, you have all, everyone's got all these little other stories about themselves that helps me understand the people in my life a little bit better. And I really appreciate that. Well, I have so much gratitude for what Ray did for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the fact that he was humble enough and honest enough and funny enough to basically hit me upside the head with a baseball bat very gently yeah. and, uh, and, and really set me straight as to, you know, what really uh, alcoholism is all about. Do you, um, are, are you a Ray in anyone's life? Oh yeah. That's great. I, I try to be. Oh, I'm sure you are. Okay. You're a Craig. Uh, yeah. You bring a little bit of salt <laughs> and a little bit of sugar. I have. Yeah. I've, Mostly sugar, because you like sugar. I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've sponsored a number of people or coached a number of people. Yeah. Who are, uh, who come in fairly new. I will say you are an excellent listener. Going back to your first job or the first sales job, you are a really great listener, which I think would help very much in what you do, um, mentoring or, you know, guiding whoever needs help at this point. Well, it has to do with two ears and one mouth. <laughs> I love these. <laughs> now all these sayings are going to just make a comeback all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, Craig, thank you. I 
thank you so much for uh, sharing. That's a very vulnerable story to share. So thank you for sharing that. Well, there are people out there who are on the brink Mm -hmm. of realizing that they may have a problem. Yeah. And there are families out there. Uh, I mean, there's a, I mean, Al-Anon is available. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I will be sure to put all of these organizations, like all the different organizations, I'll list them in my show notes so that people can click on the link if they if yeah. they feel they need to go and just read a little bit about what it is. Well, it's it's just, it's not the alcoholic who suffers, yeah. as you are aware. Yeah. Um, it's the whole family. It is the whole family. Okay. And uh, uh, the statistics, you know, published uh, about the, uh, percentage of alcoholism is is far underrated. Who publishes it? Is it like um, Human uh, HHS? HHS, okay. Yeah, but mostly probably maybe because people aren't talking about it as hopefully well, they're, they're bureaucrats. What do they know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. A little bit of salt, if, if a little bit of sugar. What, what is, if if you're a bureaucrat out there, I didn't mean that personally. <laughs> <laughs> to all the bureaucrats listening, thank you for taking time to listen to my podcast. <laughs> Um, I, it, this is so, you know, I, I feel like, um, do you ever follow the, well, there's a comedian I really like. His name is John Mulaney. Do you know who he is? Yeah. He's from Chicago. I actually just saw him in concert in December and it was really wonderful. But you one, were there with my daughters. No way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, when I would, the two young ones. The young and the old. I'll have to chat with them about it. I followed him for a long time. I actually genuinely like his humor. I, I know it's not for everybody, but I think he's extremely witty and he's clever. And a lot of, um, I'm going to give a little plug here. So sorry. Did you know I studied at Second City Chicago? Yes. I mean, okay. uh, yeah. In fact, uh, uh, one of my daughters lived two blocks from there and used oh, to go there we all probably, the time. So we probably crossed paths. Well, one of the things that you learned there in I appreciate this so much. And now I think I'm starting to use it in my podcast because this is my creative outlet is that comedy is not about attempting to be funny. You know, comedy is situational. It is actually knowing a lot of history, knowing world news, like reading everything you can about what's going on in the world right now. And then you talk and it just comes out naturally. So that's why I actually like him a lot. He, he's very smart, Yeah, you know, and he can talk to, and he, I mean, all schools are wonderful wherever, if you have the opportunity to go to school, like I went to Loyola, he went to Georgetown. Doesn't, you know, it's not apples to apples, but he's very smart and he's very intelligent. And I've always liked that about his comedy, but I didn't realize, I watched his special um, and how he struggled with addiction since he was in his twenties. Yes. Did you watch that special baby J? No pressure. I highly I, recommend it. I don't it. think I've seen that one, but I like I like him a lot. And I knew that he came out of treatment yes. uh, about a year ago or so. He, I will tell you, it, that was one of the most emotional. I cried when I watched this special because um, it was so on, like, honest and raw. And then if you go back and watch his other specials, you could see him struggling. You know, you can see the struggle. But this is where he talks very openly about sobriety. And he talks very, and he had a child and like how that's his, you know, now he has this child, you know, so it's not just about him anymore. Right. So well, um, why was I telling you about that, Craig? Oh my gosh. Anyways, what were, we ta- what were we talking about? I, oh yes. I appreciate him because for him now, when you say that, that every day you have to make a choice not to have a drink, I would assume for him, it's the same thing. You know, you have to make a choice every single day, even when you get nervous or however you used it to cope. So I appreciate that we are living in a time when people can talk about it openly and that there's support. So it's not so shunned, right? Like there's a community of support. 
Well, it used, it used to be considered a moral disease. Yeah, that's, very, yeah, that's so okay. interesting you said that. Well, even in his stand-up when he did um, his show like a month ago, one of the things he did talk about is his groups that he goes to, you know? Yeah. And in his groups, no one knows who he is. Absolutely. And it's, gr it's great. I mean, talk about humility, like bringing you back down to earth. So I recommend... I, I recommend Baby J. No pressure. It's a cozy snow day, so I don't know if you've got plans, but it, it's it's it is really humbling, and you could tell he put like a lot of effort into it, yeah. like his heart and soul. Anyways, is there anything else you'd like to share about this? Otherwise, I have a couple questions. No, I just just that uh, I am I'm so very grateful for people like Ray J. Mm. Uh, I'm so grateful for other people. Um, I'm grateful for the people that have. Uh, Taken my coaching to heart, yeah, and are now sober. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Craig, you're. I, I, well, it's it's. Here's the deal. Yeah. If you're coaching somebody, basically, what you are able to do is recreate what it was that brought you into the program. Oh wow. Okay. okay. So you get to relive. For me, the thrill of 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 realizing all of these things that I'd been lying about all my life were just that, just that lies. So you okay. get to the root of it. Exactly. That's, that's powerful. Well, in six months into this program, I, I, I finally realized that there was a higher power. There was a God. Because the things that happened to me couldn't possibly happen without that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would, do you ever see, or have you ever seen, and if not, maybe you will start seeing now, any, do you ever see Ray J? Do you ever see the initials anywhere? <sighs> His initials are in my head virtually okay. all the time. But you never see like a license plate or a sign where it's got like an RJ on it? No. I mean, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're out there. Just wait, Craig. Now you're going to see it. Well, I yeah. mean, I, I have something like that similar in my life where I see like a, pa a number pattern all the time. And I often think it's my guardian angel just tell, like reminding me. like Or like that my dad's watching over me. Yeah. What, uh, what happens to me is is that I will, there's some actor on TV or character named Ray or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Ray Liotta, et cetera, et cetera. And anytime I hear that, boom, it's just an automatic re reference to, to Ray J. That's cool. Okay, so you do have that. Yeah, in a different way. It's yeah. not the initials necessarily. Well, yeah, I could. Oh, I should say it could be like a glimmer of anything, yes. right? Oh, I love that. Yes. Um, well, I am going to ask you these questions now, but I just want to thank sure. you. I, I think you've touched on these things, but um, the first is, what is... What has your story taught you about yourself and about life? Uh, I, I think the biggest is that even, even the most advanced drunk can find sobriety. Mm. All right. And can create a life that is unbelievably rewarding and fortunate, um, I mean, I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have not made it past 1976 or so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I've got four kids that I dearly love and I wouldn't know the, the other, the youngest two. Yeah. Um, it's just, I am just grateful that this got into my path. Yeah. And I was at least bright enough to realize that uh, particularly Hearing that voice that wasn't my own saying, "What happened, dude?" Okay. Yeah. Oh, and wow. uh, and it forced me to, to to actually face the fact that there was a reason why I uh, I was in the shape I was in. Yeah. Okay. 
and it didn't have anything to do with anybody else. Nope. You had to look in yourself. Um, so how does your personal story inspire you to show up in this world? I, I it's miracles can happen. Mm. All right. Yeah. And I have been the beneficiary of innumerable small miracles. They don't have to be big things. Oh, I would say it's in the small miracles. Exactly. I mean, that's not to get, you know, too poetic, but I feel like that's where you find life, right? That's where you find meaning is in the small miracles. Well, and, and, and even the small miracles, you know, give you a whap in the head about this couldn't have happened without some kind of divine intervention. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, I, I think our meeting was one of them. <laughs> Who's yours? Oh, 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 I will. I will say this, Craig. I absolutely believe that. And I, it's funny. I said this to Mike before you came over to record today is that you remind me of all the good. My dad was a wonderful man. Um, and I miss him dearly. But you remind me of all the good parts of him because he struggled and he had his own demons. Yeah. But you remind me of all the great parts of him. And I said to Mike, I'm like, it's so cool that I have this friendship with him because it is like kind of having, you know, a little part of my dad here to talk about. Because we would talk about politics and world news and books. And I miss that. You know, I miss it. He, he was so smart. I even said to Mike, I'm like, he would have been so happy about this podcast, but he would have been like, how can we market it? What can we do to monetize it? You know, how, you know, and, but I appreciated that about him. So that's why I appreciate meeting you for so many reasons. And then also too, I appreciate your, what you've done for our community. You know, um, you're so involved in our community. I know you're taking a step back now, but you're so involved, which is very inspiring to me. Like all the good you are pouring into people's lives. And, and I'm not trying to put age on this at all. Um, because, again, I think we're living in a time where, like, the idea of stopping or retiring is, like, shifted. Just because you stopped getting a paycheck does not mean, like, your interests and your love of life stops. Right. So you've inspired me in that. Like, you have different interests now. Like, you know, you're doing all these things. So I loved our meeting, too, and I'm really grateful to have you as a friend. Thank you. And I love to have you as a neighbor, too. We have a fun neighborhood. We do. Um, Craig, I really appreciate you sharing all this, like, from the bottom of my heart. I think this is going to be a really powerful episode. Um, and I just, I don't know if you ever, I will say this. Would you ever want to come back on? No pressure. <laughs> no math either. No math. There's no math and there's no pressure. But if you ever wanted to continue more or share more, if you ever want to come back on, the, the invitation is there. I'd love to. Would you? Okay. I think there's going to be a couple other people that I'm hoping to have on who will also discuss what you shared today. Yeah. And it might, it would be interesting to have that as a roundtable discussion because, and they all happen to be men. Yeah. You know, they all happen to be men. So thank you, Craig. Um, I loved having you here and I'm looking forward to hearing all the wonderful feedback because I think this is going to be very impactful to people. Well, I just, you know, there are small miracles out there for everybody. Oh, I'm going to take that away today. I really am. I really, like, I, I think sometimes too, when you, you let that sink in in life, you remember and you'll start to notice things that you didn't notice before. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like you'll start to notice things. Um, and now yeah. I'll probably see. Rain. Well, you've got a little compass now. I do have a compass. Okay. Yeah. And so do I. Yes. And I can, I can tell you the instant it goes off by one degree. Mm, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, 
Thank you, Craig. And I just want to thank, um, I want to thank everyone who listened today. I almost want to say, especially the bureaucrats, but I'm just joking. (laughs) No, I I really, I appreciate you like laughing a lot on this podcast, Craig. Thank you. I love to laugh. Um, No, I really do appreciate everyone who listened today. And I genuinely hope that the stories that Craig shared help you feel seen, or if this is something that was sitting on you that, you know, it, it gives you inspiration to look at the links we shared or talk to somebody um, because help is out there and you're not alone. If you do have a story to share, I'm on Instagram at um, I'm so glad you asked podcast. Feel free to follow me if you want to message me on there. Um, that would be wonderful. I'm so glad you asked is part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com. This episode, I'm so glad you asked, was edited by Josh Finfrock. There's a light. There's a